Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly media criticism show that critiques all the various forms of indoctrination to which we are being subject every time we turn on our computer, TV, or uh, other instrument for accessing the Matrix reality. I'm Kevin Barrett with J. Mike Springman. Welcome back, Mike. How are you? Hi. I'm happy to be back. It's always fun here. Yeah, yeah, we always have a pretty good conversation uh, every Saturday, uh, 11 to noon Eastern, and we appreciate the folks who've been keeping our fundraisers going so I can keep doing this. It is a fair bit of work uh, pushing back against indoctrination. It's a dirty job. Somebody's got to do it. So let's let's start pushing back. But first, the obligatory disclaimers. Bring on the disclaimers. Okay, we question everything here, so if questions disturb you, be disturbed. Be very disturbed. Come on, Alan, move to the disturbed. Uh, there we go. Disturbed warning. <laughs> if you are disturbed, this could make you even more disturbed. And if you get severely disturbed, then uh, we uh, wash our hands of whatever you might do. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that was how I was supposed to say it. Anyway, uh, mental health disclaimer. If you're having mental, 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 mental health problems, uh, don't take our advice. Talk to your doctor. Okay, any more disclaimers? No, I think we're there. Here's our weekly image. Um, this is a show where you don't have to pretend to be indoctrinated. Isn't that nice? Uh, so please help us keep doing this by supporting our fundraisers. All right, done with the announcements. Let's move on to the news. What was in the news this week? Well, here's our, our lead story from Borin Cuato, the El Gato Malo, the bad cat, who says, uh, Muse, Muse tells me he's the good cat. And this guy is definitely the bad cat because he's, he's a real bad cat. He's telling us that Peter Daszak and friends, um, may have developed the virus and the uh, vaccine at the same time. It was the same project. So the question is, are Peter Daszak and his friends the superheroes who helped develop the vaccines or the supervillains who made the virus? The correct answer is both A and B. Does it, guy, man, Mike? He must be schizoid like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Okay. <laughs> a hardworking medical man sticking swabs up bats' butts so they won't poop pathogens on humanity's head. But by night, under the full moon, he sneaks out into his basement biowarfare lab, and all the bats come out flapping their leathery little wings in a sibilant hissing noise, auguring an incipient scourge. He takes his bat poop smeared swab and plunges it into a DARPA test tube. Oh, man. Uh, I'm not sure I even want to know what Peter Daszak uh, and his friends were up to over in Wuhan. Uh, how about you? Well, he's probably riding the Batmobile to visit with the Catwoman or the Batwoman that uh, that Dr. Shi Zheng, uh, who's been uh, creeping about in caves chasing down bats. So it's uh, really perverse and really kinky. And unfortunately, uh, they keep talking about gain of function as a result of his labors and Dr. Fauci's labors and that of the University of North Carolina labors, but in actual fact, it's gain of threat and how to make uh, uh, viruses far more dangerous and, and far more uh, effective as a, as a biowarfare agent uh, than uh, they might normally be. So I, I think that uh, we ought to put him in the back cave and, and slam the door shut and uh, weld it shut. Indeed, and we'll be getting into the uh, great new article from the conservative treehouse at Trump uh, Trumper place of all publications that is uh, just, they just did another, did a great job on COVID as a U.S. biowarfare fair strike against China with Desek as one of the bad guys. But first let's move on to the stuff that were censored on. It's funny. We're allowed to talk about the biowarfare hypothesis, 
but we're not supposed to spread medical misinformation. So here is the medical missing information, missing from the mainstream, that is. Uh, first story from Children's Health Defense. It seems that the not only did the highly vaccinated countries not succeed in, in totally stopping the spread of COVID, they actually are performing a little worse than the relatively unvaccinated countries. That is to the extent that there is any correlation whatsoever between how vaccinated a country is and to what extent COVID spread is stopping or accelerating. The relationship shows that the more vaccinated countries have worse COVID spread. Somehow I missed the New York Times putting this in their headline, so I had to go to Children's Health Defense. Mike, uh, why are we allowed to see this kind of news? Well, that's because the uh, they want to push more lockdowns, more virus vaccinations, more uh, restrictions on whether or not you can keep your job. If uh, someone decrees uh, that you must be vaccinated in order to be employed. Uh, so I, I think the whole thing is peculiar. Uh, they come up with strange statistics. I saw an email just this morning. I'm not sure about the background, but they claim that 200,000 people who have been vaccinated had died of the vaccine. So I think with all these statistics that they have, it's kind of like a bikini. What it reveals is suggestive, but what it conceals is vital. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it for sure. Um, this So this missing from mainstream media information uh, is basically just one of so many new and you know recent kinds of studies coming out showing that the vaccine's performance in stopping transmission of COVID is, uh, shall we say, underwhelming. And so then why are we trying to force everybody to take a vaccine whose actual benefit appears to be uh, decreasing the risk of extremely severe COVID hospitalization and death and things like that, especially among the elderly and infirm? Uh, It may have that personal protective effect, which one should weigh against the possible bad side effects of vaccination but it doesn't seem to be creating herd immunity that will stop the transmission of the disease. And that's the only excuse for mandating it and forcing people uh, using coercion to try to push people into getting vaccinated. Yet the more evidence shows that it's not stopping transmission, the harder the push to vaccinate everybody. This stinks. There's something weird going on. It could be just mob hysteria, or maybe it's something more sinister. I hope not. I tend to think not, but you never know, do you? Nope, but it's big bucks for the pharmaceutical companies. There you go, and that's probably the answer. It's follow the money, as usual. Well, more COVID misinformation stories, the censored stuff that you're not allowed to talk about on YouTube because we're not on YouTube yet. We're going to push that button a little later. Uh, Sweden is not doing so badly compared to other countries in Europe. Uh, and they had no lockdowns and no mandatory much of anything. It was all voluntary. And the mainstream media reports on Sweden in these deceptive ways, lining up their statistics and framing them in such a way as to try to make Sweden look bad, when actually, overall, Sweden looks pretty much just fine. Sweden was 18th out of 26 European countries in excess mortality in 2020, So a lower number is good. 18th out of 26 is very good. And the real statistic we need to worry about with COVID is overall cause excess mortality. That's where we're going to actually see how many people COVID is killing. And obviously, Sweden is doing relatively well compared to the rest of Europe. So they have to 
tweak their uh, ways of presenting these stats to compare Sweden with only the best performing European countries uh, on excess deaths. And then they, they keep changing what they're comparing it to when they bring up other countries. They show that Sweden had uh, fewer cases or rather more cases uh, than, you'd say, the UK or Italy. However, Sweden had uh, way less mortality. So but they don't tell you that. They, so they just make the comparison wherever they can try to make Sweden look bad to support lockdowns and, and other kinds of coercion. And it just shows us that we can't trust the mainstream information on these topics. No, we definitely can't. I saw something in RT just uh, this morning about uh, Iceland is blocking use of the Moderna vaccine against the virus because it causes heart inflammation problems, as has happened in some of the Nordic countries. So I, I think that uh, we'd best be very, very careful about what we put in our bodies. Yeah, and uh, I noticed that Iceland's move is not being reported in screaming front page headlines in the New York Times or CNN. Uh, doesn't surprise me. So once again, you have to look at Children's Health Defense and Alex Berenson and these other kinds of, you know, dissident but scientifically impeccable sources to find this information. Um, well, here's a slightly less impeccable source. In fact, it's somewhat peccable. That's the, uh, that's the, oh, what's the James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. Uh, here, apparently he found some honey trap, uh, babe to go out to dinner with a guy named Nick Carl, who is a, a Pfizer scientist. I don't know what Nick's uh, girlfriend or wife thought about that. But anyway, uh, then James O'Keefe like sneaks out from under the table with his camera going, you know, and says, aha, we caught you. You admitted that natural immunity is equal or better to vaccine immunity. And it does seem that's pretty much what uh, Nick Carl said, although we haven't seen the full unedited video to see the context. But this is not the best evidence that uh, natural immunity is at least as strong as vaccine immunity. There's all sorts of other good evidence showing that. So it's not exactly uh, world-breaking news that Nick Carl admitted that on camera. <laughs> well, he sure avoided saying anything when they had to chase him with the reporter and the camera. Uh, <laughs> and they also left out the point about uh, Pfizer, as is reported again by RT, uh, is using uh, aborted fetal cells in making its vaccines. So I, I wonder how many uh, Christian anti-abortion people are going to claim religious uh, grounds for not taking the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, and maybe Muslim and other uh, religions too. There are plenty of religious grounds for staying away from various vaccines. And that's, of course, another story. We didn't directly link any of those. Let's move to our, our next uh, suppressed, censored story that we're not allowed to talk about on YouTube. And that involves this new Merck drug, uh, Malnupiravir. Why do they keep creating names that are impossible to pronounce? Malnupiravir, I think it is. Uh, so here's a story from The Intercept, uh, which is, of course, the uh, old, old Mediar's uh, billionaire uh, CIA outfit pretending to be investigative journalism, in which they point out that Merck is going to make a lot of money off of this, and uh, the U.S. Defense Department financed a lot of the research so theoretically, Merck ought to be selling this a lot cheaper than they're planning to. If they sold it for 20 bucks a round, they could still make a 10% profit margin. I agree with all of that. However, as we see in the next slide, uh, Matt Tybee also has a great point when he says there's a you know pro-vax lunacy mob hysteria out there to lynch uh, this new Merck drug, Malnupiravir, um, 
the cult of the vaccine is accusing the molnupiravir advocates of the deviation called ivermectinism. That is believing anything other than a vaccine could possibly help against COVID. Uh, so I'm skeptical of the mainstream pushback against this drug, and I'm suspecting this drug probably works pretty well. And they don't want you to know that because it's just another reason for people who are healthy and at a reasonable non-super advanced age to, especially if they've already experienced COVID, uh, to think, you know, maybe vaccination isn't the best choice for me. And we're not allowed to think that. If that's, that's heresy, we'll be burned at the stake for even allowing such a thought to enter our skulls. You know, exactly right. These people are psychotic. They see anti-vaxxers who have excellent reasons for not taking the, the vaccine, the unproven tested stuff. Uh, and uh, they're, they're seen as the enemy. They're seen as uh, the only people getting sick from the virus and the only people spreading the virus and uh, uh, ignoring the fact that apparently they also believe that vaccinated people also spread the virus. So it's uh, uh, it's 1984 writ backwards. It's funny how the media is lynching Merrick for coming up with this uh, new pill and yet they're giving the vaccine manufacturers a complete pass on profiteering, on uh, studies that look like they were wrong. Those vaccine makers' studies uh, are not being borne out in the real world, especially in terms of transmission and in terms of long-term efficacy. Uh, but none of that is breaking into the mainstream media. But Mark comes out with a pill, and, oh, my God, it's the new ivermectin. Uh, you know, quick, find a way to smear them. Speaking of ivermectinism, how about this uh, mainstream story uh, smearing ivermectin? And, of course, that's the, the required sort of religious thing to do these days is you have to you have to hate ivermectin the way we Muslims stone the devil when we go on the Hajj pilgrimage. <laughs> you know, the way Christians all, you know, hate the sinner but not the sin or no, vice versa, whatever, whatever they hate. I don't know. I'm not a Christian. I don't know what they hate. But anyway, <laughs> what we're all whatever religion we are, we're all supposed to be vax worshippers who hate ivermectin. And so here's a story uh, trying to trigger that response in us to get our five minutes of hate going against ivermectin. But if you actually read the story carefully, it's full of all sorts of very vague and unscientific speculation. Uh, they quote this uh, Natalia Tashner, the Brazilian microbiologist, uh, scholar at Columbia University, saying, quote, well, if the drug worked, would Brazil be in such bad shape? Hmm. Well, that's a, certainly a, a very scientific <laughs> study, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like it's kind of like saying, "Well, wow, if it's if the vaccine worked, would Israel be in such bad shape? Yeah. Would all of the vaccinated countries be in such bad shape?" Um, you know, if you if you back it up with statistics, that's fine. But this article doesn't actually have any statistics at all. It has this, these kinds of vague assertions. So I'm still on the fence about ivermectin. Mm -hmm. I have no idea whether it works. When I had COVID, I didn't bother to go out and get ivermectin because I <laughs> am not convinced that it does work. However, I'm also not convinced that it doesn't work. And unfortunately, I'm not allowed to think rationally the way I do <laughs> and talk about it on YouTube. So that's why we are just starting the YouTube broadcast right now. And so from this moment onwards... Mike, this is very important. From this moment onwards, we are not going to question global warming because that's their latest taboo. We totally are not quite, we're not even talking about that subject, GW. And, uh, and we're not going to say anything that could conceivably be considered medical misinformation because we're going to stay away from all medical issues and only talk about the social issues from here on out. Uh, and hopefully they won't nuke my YouTube channel, but I have no faith about that because I, they just do any darn thing they want and they just make it up. Anyway, next story here, uh, in New York City, the social consequences of this push for 
universal vaccination uh, are quite horrible. Uh, here's 1,400 vaccinated workers being fired from their healthcare system. So, uh, Mike, do you think that the people who are going to be untre- left untreated because of this mass firing are going to be unhappy, or will they be okay because we're going to bring in 1,400 replacement workers across the Rio Grande uh, and everybody can sleep well. I think they're going to have some real problems that they don't have them already. uh, And certainly uh, the folks who don't have jobs uh, are going to be applying for uh, all sorts of uh, financial assistance if they can get it. Although I've seen articles in the Washington Post today arguing uh, in letters to the editor, in fact, I think, uh, that uh, people who uh, refuse uh, any kind of treatment uh, and don't comply with the, uh, the vaccine requirements uh, should not be uh, given any kind of beneficial help in uh, such as unemployment insurance or uh, uh, Medicaid, the emergency. Uh, Life-saving a kidney or, or organ yeah, transplant. Exactly. Did you see that? They're striking people from organ transplant lists uh, and condemning them to death for not being vaccinated. Can't make this stuff up. That's a bit much. Yeah. I mean, what's the next step? Just coming out and executing the unvaccinated? I mean, it's if you're going to passively execute them, next step would obviously be to actively execute them. Um, it makes you think that if you don't want to get vaccinated, you better start, uh, you know, building an arsenal. I mean, this is getting yeah. completely out of control. But fortunately, it hasn't reached quite that point yet. You're still allowed to get out in the streets and protest. And hey, look at what Kat McGuire, our intrepid false flag weekly news colleague, was doing this week. She led a super spirited march and rally in New York in support of freedom. And that includes the freedom to make your own choice about what you put in your own body. Uh, my body, my choice, right? And so here she is. If you look, watch this video, there's Kat leading the chance. Uh, we support Australia. We support Australia. And so far, it's uh, it's got over 400,000 views heading for half a million. So right on, Kat, you're getting a lot more views than we get here at False Flag Weekly News with our tweaked YouTube algorithms suppressing yeah. us. I don't know how she does it. I don't know either. But uh, Father Dave Smith in Australia, who uh, was with us in Iran uh, three years ago, uh, he is being hammered uh, by his own diocese and by the Australian government uh, for saying things like, uh, this is a problem for society. Uh, you're cutting off people's contacts with one another, uh, destroying their ability to be human and to live a, a free and uh, uh, ordinary life in uh, having friends and, and relatives and contacts and uh, participating as people have done for thousands of years. Uh, as a result of all of this stuff, and he's having all kinds of problems, but he has excellent uh, uh, posts on Twitter. Okay. Well, you know, you're still allowed to talk on YouTube and Twitter uh, about not liking the fact that people are being fired for being unvaccinated or people are being essentially de facto executed for being unvaccinated if they're not being given their organ transplants. Um, and you're allowed to cheer for the pushback, like Kat's demonstration. And there's another very, very important topic that's super controversial that we're still allowed to talk about here on YouTube, um, although who knows how long. And that is the very strong case that the fourth branch of the U.S. government, <laughs> I would call it the neocons, but this guy would call it the intelligence community, uh, released SARS-CoV-2 and then blamed China and I, I, I think this is a great uh, supplement. It's kind of a good short version of the argument that uh, Ron Unz has developed at length in his COVID Origins ebook. Um, and the author of this conservative treehouse piece, this is a, a Trump 
a pro-Trump publication, uh, publishes a, this is quite a brilliant article, uh, way better than the usual, uh, you know, Fox News type stuff, uh, pointing out that the Pentagon funded the creation of SARS as a biological weapon in Wuhan, China, under the auspices of national security. That much is pretty much inarguable. Uh, and he points out that the Defense Department would not be spending money to develop a biological weapon in Wuhan, China, unless they had already developed that weapon in the United States. The history here is that SARS-CoV-2, or COVID-19, uh, was created in 2014 at the University of North Carolina, among other places here in the U.S. It was a U.S. military program, and it got shut down in 2014 when the Obama administration decided that gain-of-function research was too dangerous, and then it got reopened at the University of North Carolina at, in 2017 and apparently was then uh, the U.S. military provided funds uh, to create the pretext of a bat coronavirus lab in Wuhan so they could release it in Wuhan, blame the Chinese, and hope they, I think they hope to paralyze the Chinese economy. Now, this author says that part of the motive was to get rid of Trump. I'm agnostic on that. What do you think, Mike? Well, I think that uh, uh, given the hysteria that the Democratic cheek of the great American behind uh, has tarred uh, Trump with uh, being soft on the virus and not taking action promptly, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think you could probably make a pretty good case for it. Certainly this, this article lays out a very nasty and very coherent but malodorous trail. And I personally know a former uh, Soviet diplomat, uh, and he has told me that he firmly believes that the, the virus was directed at China and at Iran, enemies of both the United States and Israel, and that uh, he follows this stuff pretty closely and is extremely knowledgeable. So I've got to say that uh, the article here pretty much lays it all out right in front of you and uh, throws it in your face. Do you think your friend might be willing to come on my radio show to talk about this? I don't know. I can ask him. Please do ask him, because I, I think this is a tremendously important topic that is being hideously neglected by most of the alternative media, as well as obviously the mainstream Mighty Wurlitzer is going to cover it up and <laughs> worse than neglect it. But it needs to be talked about. This is, you know, I think they really blew it a little bit like with 9-11 and Building 7. When mm. they blew up Building 7 in broad daylight, they screwed up and we should have caught them. We had the chance to catch them and we missed that chance. Well, now they screwed up on this bio attack on China and Iran and we should be able to catch them. But they've got more control over the Internet now than they have then. They've got more Mockingbird, you know, Cass Sunstein style uh, beneficial cognitive diversity going around, blowing smoke over everything that we need to find a way to clear the air of all that smoke and get to the gist of this, which is this was a bioattack on China. And the truth about this could save the world from nuclear destruction. And we'll talk about the reasons why when we get to more war on China news in a moment. But first, let's look at the next slide, which is Ron Unz uh, cheering this conservative treehouse guy and uh, basically endorsing the analysis. And I think people really need to read uh, Unz's ebook for the full uh, picture on why this was almost certainly that that bio attack that you just uh, said the ex-Soviet diplomat thinks it was. Um, and, you know, this all makes sense because the number one power, the U.S., is very likely to feel obliged to wage preemptive war to stop the economic rise of the number two power. And about the only option is an economy targeting bioweapon, which is exactly what SARS-CoV-2 is. It's perfect. 
you know, gets just the right, you know, that 1%, half percent or whatever mortality is exactly right to take down an economy. It's not anti-personnel, it's anti-economy. And we're on the verge of war on China anyway, and we need to find a way to stop this. Exposing the truth about this would be the way. Let's look at the next slide about this war on China that's brewing around Taiwan right now. Um, the Biden administration has upped the ante with Trump's war on China by, well, it is inauguration. He brought in Taiwan's so-called or fake ambassador to the White House for his inauguration. And then uh, they've been provoking the Chinese sailing. Just this week, they sailed the HMS Queen Elizabeth aircraft carrier next to the Taiwan border through Chinese territorial waters, as well as the USS Carl Vincent destroyer. So we're kind of on the verge of what could easily turn into World War III. Uh, I had uh, Alan Sabrowski on the show talking about this last night, and he says this will be a disaster, not just for all the people that die, but for the U.S. It's going to the U.S. is going to lose if we get into this war. It would be the, the worst mistake in American history. So another reason to expose the COVID-19 bioattack and take down the anti-China war party. Well, exactly right. I mean, this is insanity. Uh, the United States keeps sending warships into uh, Chinese territorial waters uh, to show that they have freedom of the seas, uh, which is absolute nonsense. Uh, and then they turn around and, and scream and yell and howl about uh, the mainland Chinese saying, oh, uh, they're aggressors and they're threatening uh, Taiwan and threatening American and British ships, et cetera, et cetera. When in fact, uh, both uh, the Republic of China, i.e. Taiwan, and the People's Republic of China, uh, the mainland, both agree that there is only one China. So I, I, I just don't uh, fathom this. I mean, the old Guomintang party, which still exists in, uh, in, in Taiwan, uh, believes in uh, getting together with uh, uh, the mainland and in, in the way that uh, Hong Kong uh, uh, was taken uh, over as, as uh, you know, one, one country, two separate systems, or maybe three separate systems in the case of Taiwan. So it, it's, it's, they're beating war drums for nothing that really needs, uh, to be beaten. It, it's basically a, uh, uh, they're creating a tempest in a teapot, which can boil over and, and uh, roast everybody uh, nearby. Well, Nixon and Kissinger already officially committed the U.S. to accepting one China, meaning Taiwan is part of China and under China's auspices back in 1970. So this really should be a non-issue. Um, but, of course, the ideology-crazed fanatics uh, think that it's all about Western democracy versus Chinese authoritarianism. Well, I don't like Chinese authoritarianism, but I don't like current Western oligarchy disguised as totally bogus democracy very much either. And when you get down to the real issue of what is this about, you know, Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, says it's about democracy versus authoritarianism, but it's really about how you treat your billionaires. The Chinese keep their billionaires under control. And as Alan Sabrowski noted on my show last night, they have even executed uh, billionaires who get out of line. Here in the U.S., a billionaire gets out of line. He doesn't even get a wrist slap or a fine. They're, they have complete impunity, and they run the show. The government in the United States is on the payroll of the billionaire oligarchy, whereas in China, there is this Mandarin elite uh, calling itself communist, but it, they aren't all that communist anymore, that tries to keep the extremely rich folks under control and govern the country to, to a certain extent on behalf of ordinary people. Of course, it doesn't treat all the ordinary people all that well. If you like freedom, you don't like the Chinese system, obviously. However, um, that's not 
what the fight is about. The fight is about whether the billionaire elite, uh, the Western banksters, are going to take over the world or not. And I'm in favor of them not taking over the world, so I actually lean towards China as the lesser evil here. I agree. Okay. Well, that was a that was a brief uh, response. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to argue with you about that. So let's move on and find something we maybe could argue about. Let's see. How about this one? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, this this is uh, the USA Today version of the story. Um, Biden administration has rebuked Beijing for its military aggression against Taiwan. Wow, a stinging rebuke. <laughs> uh, and, and the whole thing is written from that perspective. So this is mighty Wurlitzer propaganda. Uh, we probably shouldn't waste too much time on that. Let's look at the next story, which shows a slightly different perspective, which gets into the sort of Russian and Chinese side of what happened in the final days of the Trump administration. Mark Milley recently admitted that he, or at least we learned that he admitted, I guess, to Woodward, that he got on the phone uh, with China uh, and said, hey, we're not really going to attack you, even though Trump is trying to scare you into thinking that we are. Uh, and so that crisis looks pretty hairy. And from the Chinese and Russian side, it looks just as hairy as from the sort of anti-Trump liberal media side. Um, it does seem that Trump was maybe trying to pull some kind of wag the dog scenario and start a big fight with China that would be part of his excuse for nullifying the real or fake election results and staying in office. So there was a constitutional crisis brewing in the U.S., a wag the dog World War III scenario that it sure looks like Trump was behind. And, you know, when Trump, Trump, uh, his people floated these stories like the Air Force magazine story that the U.S. was planning to use MQ-9 Reaper drones to strike Chinese islands. And the Chinese saw this as an October surprise on the way. So Esper joined Mark Milley and that, you know, the non, the anti-war side in the Pentagon and said, no way. And then Trump fired Esper and accelerated the provocations, including this huge weapon sale to Taiwan. He sailed a whole bunch of American warships, uh, purposely violating China's territorial waters. And the Chinese were about ready for a preemptive strike when Milley got on the phone and said, hey, no, I'm not going to let that happen. So... This interpretation would jibe with those of us who think that the Trump administration's uh, war hawk side was totally out of control. Trump was in danger of going along with that side and starting World War III in a misguided attempt to stay in office. Uh, I kind of think that's probably how it went. And I kind of—I should have brought Cat on, maybe to maybe Cat and I can argue about this because she she tends to defend the the pro-Trump side of the election dispute a lot more. Uh, but maybe you can take a shot at it if you want, Mike. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything you said. Uh, when you talk about wa- the tail wagging the dog, uh, we go back to uh, Monica Lewinsky and Tricky Slicky Clinton and the destruction of Yugoslavia just to take the uh, the public's mind off what was really going on in the White House. Uh, and then we got this uh, Mark Milley, the chief of the Imperial General Staff. Uh, he's engaging in politics and calling up China representing his uh, the United States government, and he is speaking for the United States government. Well, who elected this turkey? And uh, when you go back and look at Milley's background, he was chief of the general staff and participated in the murder of uh, Lieutenant General Qasem Soleimani and the deputy chief of the popular mobilization units in Iraq, uh, uh and he's not been tried for that. Uh, he's been promoted for it. He's been praised for it. And uh, we don't hear any more about this, but it's, oh, it's Trump, it's Trump, it's Trump. 
The Washington Post is still printing articles about all the problems Trump has created and has created and will create for the United States. Uh, they're even raving about uh, how much money his hotel made or lost. So uh, I, I think that Milley needs to be investigated for uh, trying to control uh, American foreign policy. Uh, and there are laws against these filibustering expeditions where people try to organize uh, attacks or prevent attacks and engage in foreign policy uh, without any authority to do so. That, yeah, that's a good point. That's why I was skeptical of these reports from Woodward and the liberal American mainstream media. But the Sputnik perspective is even scarier. So, um, frankly, I would tend to think that Trump himself, answering to the neocons in his own administration, was more responsible for the murder of Soleimani than, than Mark Milley was. And likewise, Trump himself answering to the Warhawk anti-China side of his administration was probably uh, responsible for the bio attack on China that unleashed COVID-19 and for the uh, attempt to gin up a World War III with China to save his presidency. So, well, I guess we can agree to disagree there um, because I, I, I think Trump is every bit as insane and dangerous as the mainstream thinks he is. I just think the mainstream is at least equally insane and dangerous. <laughs> So moving on to the issue of uh, censorship. Um, okay, so China, of course, is always the bad guy for censorship, although now the American Internet oligarchs have imitate, imitated this horrific Chinese model, and they're imposing it on us. And the worst thing is that most Americans don't even realize it. I mean, the Chinese at least know that they're living in a censored society, just like in Iran, too. Everybody in Iran knows that if you're not you know, allowed to officially go to this and that internet site or whatever. But if you know, people do it anyway, and they just know that it's, you know, you're not really supposed to be doing it. And likewise in China, they know the same thing. They know that they're being uh, censored and steered. Um, but, and they don't seem to mind, which is a little scary. But here in the U.S., they don't even know it. Uh, mm. and, and so here's the Washington Post, which you just mentioned, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, telling us, that China is a quote unquote exploiting search engines to push propaganda about the origins of COVID-19. The translation of that is those search engine algorithms at Google and so on aren't hiding the truth well enough. <laughs> they haven't tweaked the algorithms enough to censor the Chinese perspective on the origins of COVID-19, which is a very understated uh, <laughs> version of the truth that this was a U.S. biowar attack. Uh, so that Washington Post is complaining, once again, as they always do, that the Internet isn't censored enough. I'm getting tired of this. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Washington Post is great for censoring things, as is Google. Uh, I tried to find some information on Osama bin Laden for a uh, an interview I did yesterday for a Russian television network. And uh, when I went looking for Osama bin Laden on Google, uh, all I got was, you know, he is Shaitan himself. He is a horrible monster who is out to destroy America and has created such horrible problems for the country around the world. Uh, yet you, you can't find anything at all about how he worked for the CIA, how he was one of their assets. And when they decided he was no longer useful, they just simply threw him away like Kleenex. And as far as Fort Detrick goes, which is near Frederick, Maryland, about an hour north of Washington, uh, Fort Detrick is the Army Bio Warfare Center, or one of them at least. 
And it's been shut down a couple of times in the past for allowing biological warfare leaks of, of deadly bacteria and so forth. Uh, but somehow this doesn't seem to come up uh, in the Washington Post article. No, they, they're they perfectly happy to operate in a totally censored world where they get to decide what people read. And so if Google is still a place where you can look for information and that information is going to pop up there, regardless of whether it's officially approved or not, that's dangerous to the Washington Post. So they and the rest of the mainstream media has been leading the push to censor the Internet. And that's, of course, the topic of my new American Free Press article that we'll get to in a little bit. But first, let's do our little flashback here. You know, speaking of Google and uh, censorship accusations and so on, how about this? Okay, so Google, according to Washington Post, Google doesn't censor the story of the U.S. Uh, creating COVID and spreading it by launching a bioattack on China and Iran uh, enough. Uh, that's the problem with Google is it hasn't censored that enough. Well, look at what Google did to the UNS review when Ron UNS published his uh, landmark article making that case that COVID was a U.S. biowar attack on China. Immediately, Google disappeared the UNS review. They had already downgraded it to the point that you couldn't find the articles unless you put UNZ or UNS in your search. But then uh, for a day or two, you couldn't find anything at the UNS review, even if you did type in UNZ. It just everything was completely erased. Well, later it reverted. But the uh, huge accelerating, ever accelerating growth of readership at the UNS review, where I published, by the way, uh, stopped when the search engines led by Google, which has 90% monopoly on all search engine traffic domestically and worldwide, squashed it. They just erased it. And this is what the Washington Post wants. They don't want you to see any of these alternative perspectives, good, bad, or ugly. And they don't believe in free speech. They don't believe in the Constitution and the First Amendment anymore, apparently. And it's so disgusting that I'm thinking that, you know, the Trump people are actually right, that the fake news lying mainstream media is a bunch, they're a bunch of treasonous uh, enemies of the Constitution should be treated as traitors to the Constitution. And that's about the highest form of criminal or the lowest form of criminal that we have here in the United States. Well, the Washington Post added to its masthead a couple of years ago, democracy dies in darkness. So I think democracy <laughs> dies on the Washington Post's uh, unreported news pages. Well, that, that, that what they don't tell you is that, you know, when, they, when they're saying democracy dies in darkness, they're not saying... Oh, democracy dies in darkness. It's that scary prospect. No, what they're saying is democracy dies in darkness. All right, more darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That's their motto. Just like the New York Times is all the Jews think fit to print, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not bothering to hide it. Yeah. Uh, but Google also has uh, uh, blocked uh, Press TV's uh, websites a number of times and sending them off into the, the outer darkness as well. And uh, they were praised for that. And, you know, I, Ed Corrigan, a human rights lawyer in Canada, and I wrote about this a couple of years ago. Yeah, yep, yeah, good. Shout out to Ed Corrigan. I had a great time wandering around the streets of, uh, not Qom, but uh, Meshhad, Iran, with him and uh, impressing him with my ability to figure out some Farsi from what little, you know, Arabic overlap I could, I could figure out. Anyway, um, so the censorship issue is uh, <laughs> the Internet has never censored enough for the uh, mainstream media mavens. Uh, and moving on to Internet censorship, here's the poster boy for Internet censorship, Alex Jones. In 2018, he got erased, uh, taken off all social media, the whole you know, 
oligarch-owned internet went to war against Alex Jones. And now, personally, I'm not 100% in favor of everything Alex Jones does or says. However, uh, the ongoing attack on Alex Jones uh, from these scumbags who are actually much worse than him overall. I mean, at least Alex Jones is somewhere in the neighborhood of correct about 9-11 and a, a lot of other crucially important issues. The mainstream is utterly treasonously lying about. Um, but now they're uh, here, they're dancing on Alex's grave here. Oh, he lost default Ooh. lawsuits over Sandy Hook. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is written by a woman named Cynthia Miller Idris. Uh, that Idris is a, sounds like a, a Muslim name. And if so, um, you know, Allah needs to have a little talk with her. She's a professor at the School of Public Affairs at American University, where she directs the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab, or PERIL. Right. Uh, and her new new book is called Hate in the Homeland, the New Global Far Right. So there's a gigantic industry in the universities and the media, all funded by the billionaire oligarchs who misrule our society, to censor the Internet and take down anybody telling a tiny little bit of a truth about anything like Alex Jones. There's more truth in 10 minutes of Alex's show than there is in 10 years of the mainstream media in terms of the big picture of what's going on. Not that I'm endorsing Alex or agreeing with everything, but, you know, the competition is even worse. And they're trying to shut him down. And that's an outrage. Well, exactly right. A couple of years ago, Alex Jones interviewed me a couple of times about uh, the American government's Visas for Terrorists program that I wrote about in my book, Visas for Al-Qaeda, CIA Handouts That Rocked the World. And uh, his interviews were straightforward, real solid journalism, uh, asking me for my sources, asking me uh, to explain myself uh, and doing an excellent job of uh, reportage. Uh, and yet, of course, he is now uh, the poster boy for uh, old Satan himself. So the censorship push uh, is way out of control. And the next story from Glenn Greenwald uh, points out that this so-called Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen, who testified at the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation hearing on protecting kids online uh, on this, uh, what was it, October 5th, four days ago, uh, Greenwald points out that this fake whistleblower is just part of a staged propaganda event designed to try to pressure Facebook into having even more extreme draconian censorship policies than they already have. And as we see in the next slide... Uh, just as this was happening, as the fake whistleblower was stirring up the, uh, the witch hunt Facebook to do even more censorship circus on Capitol Hill, suddenly Facebook mysteriously disappeared. It went down for more than six hours at exactly the same time this was happening. Uh, the coincidence theorists are having a field day. <laughs> Whoops, we pushed the wrong button and that, that caused everything to shut down. That's right. That was the yeah. thing they said. It. They pushed the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad the uh, nuclear codes, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that wasn't that wrong button, but, <laughs> oh man, no, but seriously, what, what do you think about this, this Facebook whistleblower? Well, I, I think that uh, she's a, uh, a potemkin village walking around on her own. She's a fake. She's a, a front. Uh, she is somebody that's there simply to uh, give cover to what, people really want to do is basically shut down any kind of alternative thought uh, other than the lamestream media puts out there and what the government wants you to hear and know and nothing else. 
She's okay. very convenient. Well, you know, I, I, it's one thing for me to be sitting here defending Alex Jones, which I'll do. He has the right to free speech. And uh, defending Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg? Well, <laughs> not exactly, because they're censoring the heck out of us. But their enemies on Capitol Hill and their fake whistleblower are even worse. They want even more censorship. But now I'm going to have to defend Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Well, Donald Trump is in court now uh, asking a judge to make Twitter restart his account. He filed his request for a preliminary injunction against Twitter in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida. And uh, as much, you know, it's one thing to defend uh, Alex Jones. Another thing to defend uh, Donald Trump and Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know. I'm starting to feel like I'm in bad company here. <laughs> but, hey, you know, free speech is free speech. And if you don't want free speech for even people that you disagree with or even people that you hate, you're really not much of a defender of free speech. So, hey, I, I think they should restart Trump's account. I don't think it ever should have been taken down, <laughs> even though I, I understand why people like Mark Milley and others in power might feel like they were the adults in the room uh, when it looked like we might have been on the verge of World War III because of Trump and, more pertinently, his neocon advisement's insanity. Uh, even so, uh, Trump being banned from Twitter today is completely insane. Trump, for the president, being banned from Twitter is pretty insane, too. You know, really uh, living through completely insane times. Yeah, nobody's forcing you to listen to Trump on Twitter or Twitter or to read what he writes. Uh, a trigger. That's a, I mean, I think a lot of people are actually, you know, getting him on trigger. They they see him on Twitter and they get triggered. <laughs> well, they're welcome to post something contrary that, that refutes his arguments. But the idea is that uh, in real freedom of expression, you have one truth and another truth, and you try to uh, see which one is is uh, more true or, or closer to reality. I mean, the idea is that. Uh, uh, common sense and facts trump uh, opinion. Indeed, they they trump opinion and Trump should trump uh, Twitter in this lawsuit uh, to say if if not, then we'll know the First Amendment is is deader than a dead doornail, which we already pretty much know. But it's not; it may not quite be dead yet. Um, it's getting there. The plat all these platforms are censoring the heck out of people these days. Uh, Patreon is horrible. Uh, Patreon booted me with no specific explanation given whatsoever. I don't even know whether it was, you know, medical stuff or, you know, anti-Zionist stuff mm -hmm. or whatever it was. I don't, I have no idea why Patreon kicked me off, but here they are going after a political cartoonist for medical misinformation. Wait a minute. Are people actually getting medical information from political cartoons? This makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever. I mean, a political cartoonist uh, not allowed to publish cartoons because of supposed medical misinformation. We're living in an Orwellian nightmare. Well, exactly. I, you know, uh, the idea of a cartoon is to poke fun at things and uh, let people draw their own conclusions. But to this business of, of censoring something because you, you, you mocked uh, a... You mocked uh, the holy vaccine. Yeah, yeah, my God. Uh, what 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 can you say? Uh, you know, jokes are going to be really bad. I have a book my aunt had that has uh, jokes divided up on, on race, religion, sex, political opinion, and whatever. And uh, that's obviously total heresy to these people today. I think the fire department's going to have to come to your place and burn down that book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, new Fahrenheit 451. Only it's it's all happening digitally these days. Yeah. What would Ray Bradbury say if you were around today to see the digital book burnings <laughs> going on? I don't know. So anyway, I summed up all of this anti-censorship uh, stuff in my new piece for American Free Press, which I previewed for my Substack subscribers. 
Um, and I discussed this with Alan Sobrowski and philosopher Peter Simpson on my radio show last night. And my point being that just a little over five years ago, nobody even imagined that Internet platforms were allowed to censor anybody. Uh, they were supposed to treat all constitutionally protected speech equally. And if they didn't, then they were not platforms anymore. They were publishers and they could be held liable in civil court for anything that anybody posted there, which meant that they had to respect free speech. And that was the way of the Internet from when it was created around 1990 up until roughly 2016. Sobrowski said almost 2018. And then suddenly, as a result of think tanks and uh, desperate media outlets that were afraid they were going to go out of business because the Internet competition, like us, was so much better, uh, they said, we got to shut down the Internet. we got to censor the Internet. Uh, and so actually, uh, this uh, it, it, Communications Decency Act doesn't mean what everybody always thought it meant. And actually, Internet censorship is okay. And these platforms can censor and still be platforms and still be protected. And so the whole world turned upside down overnight. And the next thing you know, the whole Internet was drowning under a tidal wave of censorship. And that's where we are today. Well, exactly. And, and the evil old Donald Trump uh, started making noises about invoking Section 230 of this Communications Decency Act to ensure that uh, the uh, people like Facebook and Twitter and Google uh, would be held accountable for their actions in silencing their competition and uh, raving about anybody who opposed them as being a conspiracy theorist. So, you know, what what, what are we going to do here? Well, we're going to just keep broadcasting. And we are somehow mirac miraculously still broadcasting on YouTube right now, uh, as well as the more free speech friendly platforms. And we're going to keep uh, screaming out the truth as long as we can until the boot comes down on the human face for all eternity, as Orwell said. Uh, so that's our uh, solution to this uh, <laughs> ever-worsening problem, a partial one at best. And speaking of partial solutions to ever-worsening problems, how about trillion-dollar platinum coins? That's right. We're now in the econ apocalypse section. We're leaving the censorship se section of our show. There's been a lot of hoopla around Biden being allowed to just coin a trillion-dollar coin through the Treasury Department, which would solve the debt ceiling problem. Uh, October 18th is the deadline. The government runs out of money then and could solve the problem just by putting out a trillion dollar platinum coin. Why platinum? Well, because there are regulations saying they're not allowed to print more than a certain amount of silver, gold, copper, and paper, but there's no rule about platinum. Hmm, this sounds a little uh, <laughs> sneaky, doesn't it? Uh, so uh, others are saying, that when they print this trillion dollar platinum coin, they should put Charles Ponzi's face on it or maybe Bernie <laughs> Madoff's. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, Stephanie Kelton and other advocates of modern monetary theory say that, in fact, you can print as much money as you want and run as big deficits as you want, as long as you don't get into the inflationary territory, which is actually you can get away with a lot more than most uh, economists ever realized you could. So that's the group that's pushing the trillion dollar coin our producer alan is strongly in favor of modern monetary theory i'm a little more um skeptical and agnostic how about you mike well i can't believe the post wasted that much ink on this bizarre concept i mean you have a debt ceiling it's a law now you either abolish the debt ceiling or you abolish the law or you spend under the debt ceiling but this business of creating a trillion dollar coin out of thin air uh, and saying this is a solution to our debt problem is, is absolute nonsense. And it, it, it's, it's grounds for putting you in the loony bin. I mean, the, when I was a <laughs> wait, wait a minute, you're saying Alan, our producer, should be in the loony bin? 
No, but uh, when I was in Georgetown, they had this economics professor for money and banking, Gunther Ruff, and he says, well, why are we worried about the debt? It's money we owe it to ourselves. Uh, so why why is there such hysteria? And I've got to agree, uh, you either adhere to the debt ceiling uh, and control your spending, uh, or uh, such as uh, uh, on the imperial war machine that, that has bases of in a thousand places around the world, uh, or you uh, simply abolish the concept and, and spend whatever you want and print as however much money you want. Well, it's funny how the Post is quoting the defenders of printing the trillion-dollar coin as saying that the issue is that we just can't, we're never going to solve this political problem. It's impossible. And therefore, what, whatever is done to keep the government running, which we have to do, is going to be unconstitutional. So we might as well be, you know, go all the way and, and be fully unconstitutional by printing the trillion dollar coin. Well, frankly, I'm not so sure that the Treasury printing money is so unconstitutional. I think it's the Federal Reserve that's unconstitutional. Yeah. So there, there's actually a much deeper discussion to be had about all this, but we don't have time for that because we only have six minutes left. So yeah. let's move on to our, our political news, red versus blue, demon rat versus Republican. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Yang, he's deserting the major parties, well, just the Democrats, actually, and starting a new movement. Uh, oh, wait, that's not the first story. The first story is Steve Bannon. No, what is the first story here? Oh, the first, we're still in the kind of apocalypse news. Sorry, I, I need to get my bifocal spectacles on better here. I think I must be getting older. Uh, yeah, so postal banking, another modern monetary theory slash Ellen Brown idea. Uh, should the post office cash paychecks so ordinary working stiffs don't have to get screwed over by the horrific uh, usury folks who put up these little booths in, in shopping mall parking lots and charge them, you know, like 120% interest to cash their stupid paycheck. The postal service could do it for free. Uh, and in Japan, the postal bank was so huge and taking away so much uh, potential business from the multi national banking syndicate that according to Ellen Brown and actually according to a former uh, high level Japanese political leader, they were threatened with a tidal wave weapon if they didn't uh, privatize their postal bank and sell it off to the international bankers. They refused. And then a few months later, uh, they were hit with a, a Fukushima a tidal wave weapon. So mm -hmm. who knows whether that's true or not, but it shows that the big international banksters don't like postal banks so that's a good reason for us to like them. So I'm all for it. I think the post office should cash people's paychecks. What do you think, Jay Mike? Well, I looked at this and said, that sounds like a good idea. And then I said, well, the Europeans do this. So I did a little checking on the Internet and found out that uh, the European countries that have their post office uh, tied to a banking system uh, have it tied to a real bank, like the Germany, which for centuries has had a postal banking system. Well, the Deutsche Bank, now works uh, with the government and essentially controls the uh, the postal banking system. And in Britain, uh, they have an arrangement with the Bank of Ireland. So I I, I think it's uh, it's a great idea if we can keep the banks out of it. Yeah, amen. I think Ellen Brown might agree with that too. Okay, well now we're finally ready to move to the red versus blue, Republican versus demon rat uh, segment of the show that I promised you. And <laughs> Broke my promise, uh, shamelessly, but here we are. Uh, there's Steve Bannon uh, drumming up uh, fire and brimstone, calling for the shock troops of the Republicans to go all out for a sweeping victory in 2024. And his overblown rhetoric 
is triggering the heck out of those blue card, blue check, whatever they are, people on Twitter. <laughs> so they're saying that the seditionists are planning to overthrow the government. We need to be treat them as such. So let's uh, let's uh, arrest Steve Bannon and throw him into a concentration camp. I think that would be overreacting. How about you? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's a poor choice of words when you say shock troops. You you see people in in uh, in uh, boots and, and jackets and helmets with with rifles. Uh, so I, I think basically all he is saying is, you know, let's really work hard at, at get a sweeping victory in 2024 and uh, leave the army out of it. But the people who are so terrified of Trump and Bannon and that crew, <laughs> and I, I can sort of see why. I mean, they are kind of a scary crew, but not really any scarier than what we've gotten out. Uh, I, I see why those people get triggered, but, you know, they're, they're missing the uh, the reasons why the the folks in power right now uh, could just as easily, let's say, lead us into World War III as Trump and his loony bin people could. Um, and that's why both sides, the red and the blue, as far as I'm concerned, are totally unworthy of any sane person's support. And I think Andrew Yang, who is uncommonly intelligent and seemingly fairly sane for a guy running for high office, which is always it <laughs> that raises questions in and of itself. But anyway, he's, he's ditching the Democrats and he's running now on a platform of he's adding to his platform of um, the uh, guaranteed income payments. He also wants to have open primaries and ranked choice voting to revitalize our electoral system. So he's one of these, you know, kind of intellectual geeky people that thinks that tinkering with various aspects of our system could make things better for all of us. And he doesn't really ever go after some of the more systemic and endemic uh, red pill issues that we talk mm -hmm. about here. But I think he's, he's very interesting and provocative. If I had to vote for somebody, uh, it might be for him, especially since he's leaving the major parties, which is a very good sign. Yeah, well, what this country needs really is a good second party. I mean, the, the Democrats and the Republicans are uh, basically two cheeks of the great American behind, and they're just as smelly. <laughs> okay, well, I, I can't uh, top that comment. So <laughs> let's move on to the making the desert bloom news. Of course, that's the brag of the genocidal settler colonists in occupied Palestine. Well, uh, we're seeing all kinds of craziness as usual from over there. I mean, we could spend all show talking about uh, the stories like how settlers uh, practically destroyed a car trying to break in so they could murder a three-year-old child that had been bashed into unconsciousness by the settlers. And he was being taken to the hospital and they practically destroyed the ambulance, I think it was, to get at him and kill him. Um, typical story about Israeli settlers. And they're, you know, I could go on like this for, for 60 minutes, but we'll just do this story about the president of Israel claiming that it's just so terrible that this tiny, minuscule minority of American Jews accuses Israel of apartheid and genocide. Well, it turns out that this minuscule percentage of American Jews that accuses Israel of apartheid and genocide is 38% of under 40 American Jews uh, say Israel is an apartheid state and 33%, full and one in three under 40 Jewish Americans says Israel is committing genocide. So I think the Israeli president is committing uh, distortion, obfuscation, mendacity, let's just call it lying, by saying that there's this tiny little minority of American Jews that doesn't like Israel. No, there's it's like more than a third or more American Jews are realistic about Israel, and that's profoundly good news. Well, it is, uh, except that the Washington Report on the Middle East always has an article that says similar things about how American Jews are growing disenchanted with the, the apartheid entity. 
Uh, yet, uh, still, uh, the American government gives uh, the Zionists $10 million a day, uh, plus whatever else they might need in, in uh, uh, refurbishing their Iron Dome uh, anti-missile system and uh, uh, doing the best to grind the Palestinians into the dirt with the, the jackboot of uh, uh, Zionism. So I, I, I think that uh, I'd like to see a higher percentage and uh, enough to turn off their, uh, their flow of funds and flow of weapons. Okay, well, let's move from making the desert bloom with Palestinian blood to making the desert bloom with free water. Yes, water out of thin air. That's the new dream of a dream team at the UC Berkeley that found that a metal organic framework, including zirconium, can capture water out of the air at night and store it and then release it in the daytime upon exposure to the heat of sunlight. Hey, free water from the air. It's almost like free money from platinum. I want I want a free money from platinum machine. I, I want one of these things, except it's going to suck money from the air uh, using uh, using platinum. Uh, I probably have to wait a while for that. Well, that's a great idea. I, I, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to develop to where it's commercially uh, practicable, but Alan Rees likes it, uh, and some of the people <laughs> yeah. in Montana would love to have it. Sure, not to mention some of the people over in the uh, ever worse drought conditions of the Middle East. Mm. Um, where apparently uh, U.S. weather warfare may be doing things like sucking all the water out of the air over Syria just in time to stir up trouble there and create a civil war that's killed uh, hundreds of thousands and sent millions uh, fleeing. But let, let's go from making the desert bloom news to space Jews, Hollywood Jews, and orcs news. Which is worse, the space Jews, the Hollywood Jews, or the orcs? That sounds anti-Semitic, and that's what people are saying about Dave Chappelle, the famous comedian who is joking about the world-conquering space Jews in his new Netflix special. He talks about this space diaspora where these, uh, these, these aliens leave their home planet, they go elsewhere in the universe, they have a hard time, so they come back to conquer their own planet and, and genocide all the non-kosher uh, aliens who are living on that planet. And he says this is the science fiction film he's going to call Space Jews, and the Jewish media says it's anti-Semitic. And you would, of course, expect them to say that. Everything's anti-Semitic. He's also being hammered by one of these trans people uh, who's screaming that this show should not be allowed on Netflix because he doesn't say good things about the trans people. He mocks them. Oh, my uh, goodness. So, so apparently you, you can't possibly uh, poke fun at anyone or anything or any concept anymore. Right. Well, we know there are certain categories that you have to be really careful with and other categories, not nearly so much. But uh, we'll leave the details to your imagination and move on to our <laughs> final story, which is uh, <laughs> we discovered that one of the orcs in Lord of the Rings was based on Harvey Weinstein. That uh, This guy, Elijah Wood, one of the actors in Lord of the Rings, revealed that this uh, orc mask was based on Weinstein's face. The question is, which is the orc? Which is Weinstein? And I understand they're administering a uh, quiz or questionnaire to young Hollywood actresses these days. Who would you rather have molest you, Weinstein or the orc? And 99% say they would take the orc. Uh, <laughs> does that surprise you, Mike? No, it doesn't. Not at all. <laughs> okay. Well, if I, if I had uh, to sit down to lunch with one of these two guys and do a movie deal, I would definitely take the orc. And uh, that's really all we have to say on today's episode of False Flag Weekly News. So thank you so much to J. Mike. It's been great. J. Michael Springman, author of Visas for Al-Qaeda and uh, what is it? Goodbye uh, Europe. Goodbye Europe. Chaos. Chaos. Miracle's migrant bomb. Okay. Yeah. Great stuff. 
Keep up the good work, J. Mike. Uh, thank, thank you. you. For I like supporters. This. God bless. See you all next week. Okay.